Sandy and I had the privilege of being at the, uh, the Assemblies of God District Church Planters Conference this weekend. I think it's our fifth time to this. Uh, for all intents and purposes, we are a church plant. We're a new church. Um, uh, if you've gone through Growth Track, you know there's a, a, a long history of this particular uh, body um, but uh, we, we closed that church. That was, I was appointed the pastor of uh, Victory Bible Assembly of God on January 1 of 2015. And the first thing we did was close the church. And um, we had two people stay from uh, the old church, Randy and Betty Jo Balzer. So if you get a chance to see them, make sure you tell them thank you because they have been a critical piece to... Uh, to Mill City Church, and uh, they're just amazing people, as are you. But um, some things that I wanted to share with you just really, really br briefly. Did you know that the United States is now the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world? Turn the house lights up just a little bit. I want to see your faces. The United States of America is the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world. And we're rapidly approaching number three, and that's the Federation of Russia. Not a list that we want to be in the top 10 on. Um, we are one of the we are a church that the Assemblies of God considers a home missions church in that uh, we are missionaries to the United States. Church plants, new churches, are mission work. And uh, the church multiplication network is the church planting arm of the Assemblies of God. And just to give you some, some Stunning uh, statistics here for just the last couple of years, 2020, 125 new churches were trained. In last year, another 148 new churches trained, launching um, every, uh, every week, every weekend, there is a new church with just within our denomination that is launching. Uh, and um, what does that mean? Well, in 2020, 88,000 people attended one of those new churches. 88,000 people in the United States. 30,000 people were saved. 30,000 people. Why? The average attendance in one of these new churches, 278 people. The average attendance of our existing Assemblies of God churches, which I, I would say we're, we're probably classified now as a, an existing AG church. The average attendance was 143. So a new church average attendance, almost 300 versus half that in existing churches. Salvations, listen to this, on average in the year 2020 in a new one of the new Assemblies of God church plants, 94 salvations per church versus 29 in the existing churches in the, in the Assemblies of God here in the U.S. 40% are growing of the new churches. 20% of the existing churches are growing. Um, listen, you can't deny the power of a new work of God. And uh, when we met with the, uh, the body, um, and it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a fragment of, uh, of, a, of a church that had wonderful seasons, wonderful seasons. Um, there were 11 people the first night and there were 13 people the second night. <clears throat> and um, perhaps you've heard me tell this story before, but um, I said to them, listen, 
and, and you've remembered that Belt Street Church was in, it, it's just an incredible place, look geographically. Uh, you know, you got four lane, you got, you got every socioeconomic uh, demographic represented within blocks of that building. Um, it's a, there's a retail corner, uh, uh, just a stone's throw from the Bell Street building. The visibility was off the charts. And I said to the people, listen, everybody that would come to the church here has already been here and they're not here. And I'm not here to explain that. it, It doesn't really matter. What matters is God wants to do a new work. And if we can trust him and follow his lead, which very clearly he had put a vision in in our heart for Mill City Church. And part of that vision, that, be, that vision began with, with, close, with, with putting that church down um, only to rise back up nine months later. It took us nine months to birth that baby. And now we're trying to raise this baby. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, God has done amazing things as we have followed his lead. And, and that second meeting, there was a, or I'm sorry, it was the first meeting. It was, it was a highly emotional meeting. And um, there was, there was a, a couple in the church that was traveling a distance to attend uh, the church. And, and in just in an emotional um, plea, if you will, she said, we have been praying for revival for years and I don't know why God hasn't answered our prayer. And look around you. God answered the prayer. But sometimes God gives you exactly what you want or what you need in a package that you don't want. And our heart has always been missions work. We, you'll see on Vision Sunday in a couple of, uh, couple of weeks, our, our annual business meeting we always do on Super Bowl Sunday. We call it Vision Sunday, and, and uh, it's uh, certainly for members of the church, it's important that you're here because this is our annual business meeting. But we do it during this, the uh, Sunday morning service, uh, celebrating what God has done in our, in our midst over the past 12 months and looking forward into what we believe God's called us to do uh, in the uh, coming year. But... Um, uh, we, we currently um, support over 70 missionaries across the world every single month. We have tithed 10% of our general fund to missions from day one. And um, we will always do that. We will continue to do that because God blesses those who are part of kingdom work. And uh, let me tell you something, kingdom work isn't just for me and Sandy. Let me just, I'm, I'm sorry. That was an amazing place to say amen, and I'm, you probably didn't hear me. <laughs> Kingdom work is not just for me and Sandy. Amen. Kingdom work is for you. You realize you are planted? God has strategically planted Every single one of us, one of the beauties of being a bivocational church, God has planted us where he has put us to be a light in a dark world. You may be the only believer in the Lord Jesus Christ at your workplace. And one of the things that our our, uh, teacher said to us, this was very challenging. You are to be the non-anxious presence in your workplace. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this world ain't your home. And yeah, you could die of COVID. 
but you could die on your way home in a car crash. Ain't nobody staying home from work because somebody might T-bone them at the intersection. And the world wants to keep us separate. The world wants to keep us distant. The world wants to keep us. And I know that's a very real fear out there. It, 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 it is. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But what I'm trying to do is let you know, hey, you don't have to live like that. You can live for Jesus because truly that's what it is, right? To live is what? Christ. To die is gain. And, and when we support church plants, when we support new works, when we support missions, when we are about kingdom work, it is about reaching people who do not yet know Jesus as their personal savior. And they have every reason to be anxious. Every reason to be anxious. But if you're a believer, you have every reason not to be, and you can be a light in a world, that non-anxious presence in your place. Amen? <clears throat> can you believe it's the end of January? Oh, my goodness. This year is like almost 10% over. <laughs> us business people are looking at our goals. Some of us don't even have our annual goals yet. They give us the annual goal in March and say, here's your goal. Really? Why didn't you give me that in January? It's 30% over already. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, every year we take a, a break from our book study. We, we go back to who we are. Who are we? Who has God called us to be? And so uh, for the first couple of weeks, we, we looked at... Um, um, what we believe if salvation, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. Can't work your way to heaven. Uh, we need Jesus' grace because there's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall of sh fallen short of God's glory. The penalty for that sin is death. That's, that's cause for anxiety, a spiritual, eternal death. But as a believer, you have been given a gift. That gift is righteousness, God's righteousness, not because of what you've done and not because of who you are. It's because of what Jesus has done and because of who he is. Amen? And so we are made righteous in the sight of God. We have been set free from the curse of sin, but we have also been set free from the bondage of sin. We are called to be free. Paul says, since we know this, then we need to consider it to be true. We know that to be true. Now live like it's true. Reign in life with that truth. You don't live in Wisconsin anymore. Stop dressing like it. Stop acting like it. Stop talking like it. You live in Arizona now. Let's start dressing like it. And acting like it. If you wonder what that's all about, well, you need to go two weeks ago and listen to the podcast. <laughs> You'll understand better. <clears throat> First weekend of the year, we talked about fasting and prayer. I, I, uh, I referenced Isaiah chapter 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You know, it's very applicable for the believer. Stop thinking about who you were. There's nothing for you back there. Start looking at this new thing. Behold, I have done a new thing. You are born again. It's springing up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The message puts it this way. Forget about what's happened and don't keep going over old history. Be alert and be present. Be now. Because I'm doing something brand new. It's bursting out. You see it? There it is. It's called 2022. Just out of curiosity, indulge me for a second. Uh, if you are new to Mill City Church in the year 2020 or 2021, would you mind just raise your hand? Wow, holy moly. Look at that, Sam. Look at this. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. I'm happy to see that. If you were here on launch Sunday, raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. We did not scare you away. <laughs> what happened to the other 275 people? <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Um, can imagine what he's going to do in 2022. If he did that in the midst of, an, of a pandemic, what can he do when we're not in the midst of a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, when people are excited to be together again and, and desperately need hope and release of anxiety. Wow, you better be ready. We better be prayed up. That's why we take the first season of every year to fast and pray. But we also need to be people of the word of God. People of the word of God. Look at what 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, all scripture is God breathed and it is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter four, the word of God, it's alive and it is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. James chapter one, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says. Reminds me of liar, liar. Jimmy Carey, Jim Carrey says, stop breaking the law. I need some advice. Okay, here it is. Read your Bible. And don't just read it. Do it. Do what it says. You read the word, listen to the word, and you don't do what it says. It's like you look at yourself in the mirror. And then after you look at yourself, you don't do anything about it. Imagine if you did that this morning. You got up out of bed. Now, my hair is short, but it's getting longer. It's curly, so you can't really tell how long it is. But when I wake up in the morning, it's usually like this. Now, imagine if I got up, and it's kind of bushy, so I have to use gel or else it looks bushy. And so I look, and if I came to work at church and I look like this, boy, I mean, what would you think? You'd be like, that, that guy's a nut. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I don't do what I just said or else you'd really think it. You'd know it to be true. You'd reckon it to be true. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Psalm chapter one, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither and everything they do prospers. I don't know about you, but I want everything I do to prosper. What does that mean, though? Does that mean that if you could just give your life to the Lord, then everything you touch will turn to gold? Does that mean that you just commit your life to the Lord and you're never going to have another problem as long as you live? Well, how about this? Does that mean that if you're having troubles in your life, personally, physically, relationally, financially, then there's something wrong with your relationship with the Lord. You may not really be saved. You must have sin in your life. Is that what that means? No, that doesn't mean that. In this life, you'll have trouble. Jesus said it himself. We'll see that in a few weeks. John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm telling you this stuff. Why? Because in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. <laughs> Amen? I'm here to tell you, life is hard. And get this, especially you young people, life isn't fair. <gasps> life? Not fair? But my mom... No, life's not fair. And life isn't about you. Being a Christian and following Jesus will not keep you from the pain of this world. And sometimes even follow, just following Jesus will incur some pain. We saw that just a few weeks ago, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, just keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but you still have all the problems of the world. 
as it is, you don't belong to the world because I've chosen you out of the world and that's why the world hates you. Psalm chapter 34, though, says this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We have an advocate. We have a defender. We have a protector. Amen. Praise God. But then look again at James chapter 1. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Psalm chapter 1, whatever they do prospers. I mean, you read that and, and you're like, wait a second. What do I do with that? Well, remember this. The word of God is useful for teaching. And um, in the word of God, we can find the answers to the questions that we have um, I love the first of the year, and, and really September, too. We have two built-in seasons. First of the year, it's kind of a recharge and a reset. Back to school for our society in September is kind of the same way. It's a good opportunity for us to just remind ourselves of who God's called us to be, looking at our core values, for example. The, the, the cornerstone core value uh, for Mill City Church is and always has been the Bible. It's the Word of God. And, and the practice of reading and meditating on God's word is critical to seeing God's hand on your life, on my life. It won't keep you out of all trouble, but the word of God is true. And whoever looks intently into God's word will find freedom. And they will be blessed in what they do. They will be like trees planted in streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, and everything they do will prosper. But rather than teach a, a typical message on the value of reading God's word, I want to use God's word to walk us through how God's word can be a teacher. Um, as you read through the Bible, you will see um, throughout history, people uh, um, God re referred to in different names and different titles. And uh, we may do a series on the names of God at some point along the way, probably a Wednesday night. But when you think about the words prosper or blessing, don't you automatically go to material things? God's blessed me. Whatever I do prospers. In our society, we think materialistically in that way. I do. And maybe you start the year and, and you looked at your finances. You did a net worth statement or you do an income expense analysis. You do something to say, oh, man, why did I do that again? And I really need to make some changes this year. Often we even see a lot of our prayer requests that come in are financial or even vocational that have to do with finances. That's very um, it's, that's very appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that request. We should be asking God those things. But one of the names of God is this, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. And um, it means my provider. My provider. Now, I'm not going to teach on prosperity. Sorry or material blessings. Hope you'll forgive me for that. Um, this is not a teaching on money or finances either. But I am going to teach on divine provision today. And uh, many of you, if you've been in church for a long time, especially evangelical church, you've heard the term Jehovah Jireh. There's even a song we grew up. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Forget the words. Eric, come out here. Let's sing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's not 19. We can do a Jehovah Jireh march. Or, you know, the, the, we, we have a tendency in our evangelical circle to commercialize these things. You know, anybody have a prayer of Jabez bracelet or a prayer of Jabez necklace or at least a bookmark? Yeah. Nobody's raising their hand because you're all embarrassed too. <laughs> you know, Jehovah Jireh. Do you realize this? As popular as the uh, name of God, Jehovah Jireh, is in our evangelical circle. It's found in the Bible once. One time. 
Genesis chapter 22, and it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with money. So today, what we're going to do is just walk through this chapter. Hopefully, you'll see some principles. Hopefully, I know you'll see some principles. Hopefully, you'll see how you can use God's word in in teaching you um, some things about life. Because remember, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching. The Hebrew root word here is God sees and God provides. It's also translated as God will provide. It's the same concept that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter four. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Um, I would ask you to consider this though. God's provision, his divine provision in your life is rooted in faith. It's rooted in faith in him. Um, and no better place to start than Hebrews chapter 11, because uh, that is what we refer to as Hebrews hall of faith. There are 15 different people in this chapter who are noted for their faith. It begins with the statement, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's faith. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Abraham is the father of our faith. And in 40 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, 11 of those verses are about Abraham's life of faith. And Genesis chapter 15 gives us a statement that, that, um, that helps us to understand because Abraham believed God. And God saw that And he considered Abraham righteous. Why? Because he believed God. Because he could could take God at his word. Now, his story is found in Genesis between the uh, chapters of 11 and 25. Really comes to a climax, though, here in chapter 22. Um, And in this chapter, I believe I have four principles that will help us to ensure God's divine provision on our life. So let's look at it together. Um, The first principle is this. God provides for people who hear his voice. Sometime later, verse 1, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, this isn't the first time that God has spoken to Abraham. In fact, uh, you see it right out of the gates in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, that's his old name, that's who he was. God eventually gave him a new name. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. And so Abram went, just as the Lord told him. God speaks to Abraham in chapter 13 also, in 15, 17, 18, and each time you will see a similar response from Abram. I think it's critical to understand, though, that faith in God always begins where we are, not where God wants to take us. God uses us right where we are in the moment because when God calls Abram, he is living in a pagan land. It doesn't outright say it, but it is implied there's certainly a great possibility that Abram was a pagan himself. And even though the, uh, the Bible doesn't come right out and say it, uh, it doesn't list anywhere in the genealogy prior to Abram, anyone who believed or served God uh, after Noah. So no matter where you are today, I would suggest to you that God is speaking to you. And the question is, will you hear him and will you listen to him? God understands our humanity, and lest you think that um, God is looking for some uh, army ranger, navy seal type Christian, which there are none, he's looking for someone who will just obey him, someone who will has ears to listen. And here's some things about Abram's life. Abram was a liar. He was a liar. 
When, when they went, uh, he and his wife, Sarah, went to uh, Egypt, not only does he lie to Pharaoh, he tells his wife to lie too. And then they do the same thing in chapter 20 to King Abimelech. The second thing is that Abram feared man more than he feared God. That's why he lied. The third thing I see out of his life, he didn't always listen to God. In chapter 16, when Sarah offers Hagar to him, you don't find Abraham going to the Lord and saying, hey, is this your plan? Because this doesn't really sound like your plan. Is this really what I'm supposed to do? No, he just does it. And we're still paying for that. Because Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. And so, I mean, for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, um, we've been fighting that battle ever since. We all go through seasons of life uh, when we don't measure up and we will fail God. You'll fail others. People will fail you. But God created us and he knows all about our faults. And he uses us in spite of us. Isn't that cool? What's the prerequisite? Humility. Humility says, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. So, I mean, you, you fail, well, then you confess and you move on. And you don't live there and you don't let other people make you live there either. You move forward. So the question is not, where have I come from? I have come from this broken family or my parents didn't know or, or my, my grandma is the only one that ever served the Lord. I don't have anything. In my, I just got tons of baggage. Well, that doesn't matter. What matters is, is God speaking to you? And are you listening to his voice? Because God provides for people who hear him. The second thing is God provides for people who obey him. Verse two, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Faith requires obedience and action. If you really believe it, then you'll do something about it. Your your life will play that belief out. And Abraham was constantly doing things. He was a doer. He was a man of action. And the things that Abraham was involved in, listen to this, the things that Abraham did required God. And I wonder, are we doing things that require God or are we doing things under our own strength? As long as I know I can get it done, then I'm cool with doing it. Or do we live our life that way? I certainly don't want to live my life that way because God saves his best jobs for people that he can trust. And he doesn't just grab people off the bench and throw them into action. And, you know, practically speaking, who's the the second string quarterback of the Packers? Somebody. Jordan Love. Are you kidding me? Do you see that one game he played? And And he's good, or at least he was in college. So, I mean, practically speaking... You should have heard my first sermon. And I was called. And I had an anointing on my life. But, I mean, you think this is bad. You should have heard that. (laughs) Um, James says in chapter 2, talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. And all scripture is God-breathed. So really, it was God saying to his people, talks cheap. If you really believe this, then I'll see it in your life. In fact, if, if you really believe it, you don't even have to talk about it because it'll be obvious in your life. Talk is cheap. And practically speaking, we feel the same way. Now, I often talk about the, the white space in the Bible. God said, do this, and then they did that. Yeah, but I have no idea how many days or weeks it took them to get over the hump, right? Ah. Not here. 
It says early the next morning. Abraham got up. Early the next morning. That's like huge faith. That's huge obedience. And delayed obedience, so you know, all my, my kids know exactly what that means. It's disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So you're going to be disobedient for how long? How many of you are delaying getting baptized? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. Oh, there you go. This one, second. <laughs> you know, we have a water heater under the, under the deal today. Should be your day, buddy. Okay. Because delayed obedience. Yeah, praise God. That's amazing. You did the ACMR report. How many people did we baptize last year? 90, 92 people we baptized last year. Now, the New Testament church, I believe, didn't count salvations. They counted baptisms. And you know what the number was? The same. So, I mean, I said, we'll knock off 25% because we have some people that are, that are you know, re-baptized because the Lord moved in their heart. My wife was one of them. I'm pretty sure she's saved. I'm, I'm quite certain she was saved before that. <laughs> uh, man, th that's amazing. Praise God. Today? Yeah. In the back corner? I know you are. You already said it. Today could be your day. If, if you haven't been baptized, we have a change of clothes. We even have underwear for you. We have towels. We have shirts. You want to change your clothes? We will, we will let you change your clothes. We will give you the clothes, to, and we will warm up the water. Bob, wherever he is, Bob, we're going to warm up the water, and we're going to baptize uh, some people second service. You can stick around. It'll be amazing. Second question you could ask yourself, are you doing the, God, the things that God is asking you to do? Because we can be doing things for God all day long, but they may not be what he's asking us to do. Jesus himself said, many will come to me in that day and they'll say, well, God didn't, I, I did this and I did this and I did this all in your name. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. You weren't listening to me. You were doing your own thing. You were building your own church. You were building your own ministry. I had a different call for you. Can you imagine if we just walked in to Victory Bible Assembly of God and said, okay, well, uh, I know you want to keep things the way they are, and I really want to make you happy, and I want, to, I, I want everybody to, you know, we want you to. Can you imagine if I'd have done that? None of you would be here because you weren't there before. But God had a plan, and it was hard. It was really scummy to sit in front of those people and say, this is what God's called us to do, and I'm convinced of it, and I don't understand the whole thing, but I am willing to take God at his word and do what he's asked me to do. Now, there's several of us that are going through, some men that are going through a book called Experiencing God right now. And one of the stunning statements that the author wrote at the end of week one is this. When you believe that nothing significant can happen through you, you have said more about your belief in God than you have declared about yourself. We were challenged this weekend about church planting. And I just, I believe with all my heart, there's somebody in our church that God's called to pastor another church. And if that's you, and you say, but I'm slow of speech, but I can't do this, but I can't do that, then you're saying more about God than you're saying about yourself. Because God has a plan. You know, over the last third, uh, month, anybody get a coffee from Nuthouse today? Woo! -hoo! 
Awesome. Do you know over 30 people have newly joined the Mud House in the last month? Isn't that awesome? I think that's amazing. Praise the Lord. If that's you, raise your hand. Somebody that's uh, working in the Mud House. Anybody working in the Mud House? Come on. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, here's the, here's, the, here's the next biggest hole we have. It's on our welcome home team. We need people at the doors. We need people in the sanctuary. We need people outside parking cars. We need people on the front, uh, in the front sidewalk greeting people. We need people that God is saying, I need you to do this and jump on the team. You know, uh, and, and listen, I'm not talking to the people that are already serving because inevitably I say something like that and I get all these people that come up to me and they say, what more can I do? And I want to say, nothing. You keep doing what you're doing because God's got you right where he's got you. Keep doing that. I'm talking to the 60% of you in this room that come to church. And we love you. Now grab a shovel. (laughs) Because I'm confident in you. I am confident in you. God does great things with people who are willing to hear him and obey him, right? Third, trust him. But I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Well, you can't, but God can do it through you. Can you just trust him? If you trust him, God will provide. You hear him, right? You're willing to obey. You're going to take a step. Now just trust him. On the third day, look at it, verse 4. Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. You ever been in trouble? I've been in trouble. (laughs) Who's been in, like, deep trouble? Come on now. Okay, you know the pit? You know it. I got in big, big trouble. almost got kicked out of school my senior year at Evangel, Christian College. Smoking pot. Pastor Steve. (laughs) The Lord has delivered me from that. Amen. Praise God. I didn't eat for three days because I had to tell my dad. He was the president of the college. Yeah. (laughs) Did did Eric say gall dern? During worship, did he say that? I'm sure he said it. I'm pretty sure I heard that. Well, then I can say this. Those three days sucked. It was terrible. Now imagine this. Here's Abraham. And God didn't give him the specific place to go. He just said, go that way. I promise you he didn't get much sleep early the next morning, because he was already awake, he got up and he went. And for three days. And then, I'd imagine something crested. They got over something and he saw it. And he knew. That's it. Verse 5 says, he said to his servants, stay here while I and the boy go over there. Now, here's a faith statement. We will worship and we will come back. We will go do what God's asked us to do. And we're both coming back. Why? Because I believe God. I'm trusting him. And so he took the wood and the burnt offering, placed it on his son. He himself carried the fire and the knife. The two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and he said, where's the fire and the wood? Where's the fire and the wood? Where's the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering.
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19 said that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. He reckoned it to be true. He believed God and then he reasoned. He lived and he walked as if it were true. Perhaps God has given you a word in your life at some point. And it hasn't happened yet. You haven't seen it yet. And you need to hear today that God has spoken and he only tells the truth. Unless you get to a point of despair and start to live as if it's not true, you need to hear this, to not lose hope. You did hear from the Lord and you need to reason that in spite of all the obstacles that God is going to come through. Faith means not having it all figured out because if you have it all figured out, then there is no faith. If God had said, hey, Abraham, I need you to go do this. And just so you know, at the, you know right before you drop the knife, I'm gonna stop you and I'm gonna provide something else. For no, where's the, where's the faith in that? There is no faith in that. Faith says, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm still willing to trust you. Now, scholars believe that Isaac at this time was around 20 years old. Okay. Asher, how old is your son? He's, <laughs> that just rolled off the tongue, didn't it? <laughs> Stand up just for a second, Asher. Okay. Now, if Asher were to take were to be, thank you, he's not a small man. He works construction. Um, I'm so sorry. Remind me your son's name. Uriah. Uriah. Okay, so here's, here's Asher and Uriah, and they're about to do this deal, right? Asher could take Uriah and tie him up and put him on the altar. I'm quite certain of it. But Abraham ain't no spring chicken at this point. <laughs> I can't remember how old he is. Was he 80 when Isaac was born? Something like that. I don't know, biblical scholar Steve here. He's old. And Isaac's 20 years old. My son's 23. I, I could probably still take him, <laughs> but only because I'm his dad. <laughs> he's taller than me, but he's wiry and, and I'm thicker than him. And I've been punched before. I'm not sure he's been punched, so. <laughs> but it would be a struggle. It wouldn't be over. It wouldn't be immediate. But as the story goes, now think about this. Why, you know, why marinate on the Bible? Because there's truth inside the truth, okay? And, and, and the picture Bible that we grew up with has Isaac as Uriah's age. And Abraham's still a strapping 80-year, 95-year-old, whatever, whatever he is, older he is, okay? That's not true. And something's going on here, though. They get to the place God has told them about. Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now imagine what that conversation was like. I guarantee you, this wasn't the first faith conversation that Abraham ever had with his son. Isaac has been watching his dad 
walk out his faith, his trust. He's been obedient. And he's talking to his son here. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't face down. Now, son, I have no idea what's about to happen here. But I have served God my whole life. And he's made a promise to me that he's going to build a nation from you. And I believe him. And he raises that knife. And God says, Abraham, stop. Oh, thank you, Lord. Don't lay a hand on him. Because I know you love me. You trust me. You're willing to take me at my word. Parents, you ever have a faith talk with your kids? It's got to be more than, hey, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't. You know, the Bible says, and the Bible does. We always included my son. And, you know, we have three kids, and they're all very different, and praise God for that. Um, but Michael, he was the oldest, and, and I just always felt led to use him as a, like a filter for the decisions that we made. He needed to understand why we were doing things. He needed to understand when we take, when we take steps of faith, you need to understand, I want you to know when it started. I want you to know the white space journey and I want you to walk it out with us on the other end. I am so far from a perfect parent, I'm telling you, but for the grace of God my children. Love and serve the Lord. Dick Hardy is a church leadership teacher, and he was with us a few years ago, and he said this, have your kids in the way of ministry. Have your kids in the way of church. Let them see it in your life. Hey, you know what? If you got young kids, we don't come to Wednesday night because, listen, the teachers get to deal with them. That's awesome. It's okay. When we homeschooled, we just knew Thursday was going to be a little bit more difficult. That's okay. It was worth it to have them in the presence of God. I love to see uh, Jason and Heidi. They, they have in included their kids working in, in the market. They've included their kids working um, with Without Limits. Uh, and and that's, that's just one of many examples. They just happen to be right here. Um, listen, have your kids in the way. Let them see it so that when the really difficult one comes, they're, they're prepared for it. They understand it. They've walked it out too because what you really want is them to be in a place of hearing God and tr obeying God and trusting God also. Amen? worship team can come. The fourth principle is this. God provides for people who build altars. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place. Here it is. This is the only place in the Bible. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will 
provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What do I, talk, what do, what do I mean when I say Abraham built altars? It's another one of our core values. It's worship. It's a life style of reverence and worship and thanksgiving. It's an understanding of who is truly responsible for all that you are and all that you have. It's God. And when you get to that place of worship, then God just has a way of moving with divine provision in your life. Six times the Bible references that Abraham built an altar or made a covenant with God. Chapter 17, the Lord appeared to Abram and, and that's when God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. You know what Abraham did at that point? He fell face down and he worshiped. Now here's something also interesting as I've studied this. One time the Bible references Isaac building an altar. One time. So question, do you build altars? And I'm not talking about Super Bowl trophies and Super Bowl rings. I'm talking about, do you worship God? Do you have a life of worship? Are you a worshiper? Men, do you see, do your kids see you worshiping God? And let me tell you something, if all they see you worshiping God, the only place they see that is here, that's not what I'm talking about. Because everybody does that. The question is, are you living a life of worship outside of church when nobody's looking around except the people who matter the most? Moms? Do you build altars? Super important. It's super important. God sees, God provides. Does God see your dependence upon him? Does God see your worship of him? Does he, does he see you building altars to glorify and worship final thing I see that's kind of re really interesting to me about this passage is um, of all the other times that Abraham built altars and called on the name of the Lord, this is the only time I see him giving God a name. God gives himself names. Moses, the writer of, of Genesis, um, he gives God a name, but this is the only time that Abraham gives God a a name. And of all the names he could have given God, righteous, holy, redeemer, savior, he gives him this name, provider. And it's really an amazing foreshadowing this story of Jesus himself because Isaac was to die on the altar as a sacrifice to God. John the Baptist says what? Behold the Lamb of God and in the moment of greatest need God stops Abraham sends the ram. It's just, it's just like a picture of our Lord. 
in our time of greatest need, listen, God sent the lamb for us. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's divine provision. It has nothing to do with money. It doesn't mean you'll be a millionaire. It doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy unless you factor the fact that you live in the United States of America, the most wealthy nation in the world. But Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about eating or drinking or, or what you're going to wear. Pagans run after that stuff. Here's what you need to worry about. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff is going to take care of itself. You want divine provision on your life? Four things. Hear God. He's speaking. Obey him when he speaks. Trust him because he's telling you the truth and worship him. You add those to your life. You have those as cornerstones in your life and you just watch what God will do time in and time out. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word and, and um, for teaching us today. Teaching us about what divine provision is and how to have your provision in our life. Lord, I just pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit today. Use us, God, for your glory. You have a call, you have a purpose for all of us in this room here today. So God, give us ears to hear. Give us a, a heart to listen. Help us to obey, take steps of obedience and build trust. And God, in spite of our circumstances, help us to be people who worship you with our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just wanna ask you to take a moment with the Lord. prerequisite is knowing Jesus being a follower of Christ right now, but I would like to give an opportunity to you if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Make, make him the Lord of your life. Surrender. Repent. Recognize where you are, where he is, and surrender to him. You are one prayer away. like to give you an opportunity. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'd like to pray for you. Anybody here today? Just a sign of an upraised hand. Anybody?
this concept of surrender, this concept of reverence, building altars, and go back to this statement about Isaac. Isaac was the son of the father of our faith. He saw it lived out. If anybody had a real life experience with God and his salvation, it was Isaac. And yet his life was not a life of surrender, a life of submission and a life of worship. In fact, he made one bad decision after another. Probably the most vivid example of how he missed it, of his two sons, his favorite was not Jacob, it was Esau. a man who was a thorn in the side of God's people time and again. And I can tell you, what it, it wasn't because of Abraham, I don't believe, as much as it was because of Isaac himself and the choices he made. Maybe he just thought he was living off of his father's faith. such an important thing for us to recognize that our faith has to be our own. Our decisions we are responsible for. And I, I want to encourage you as we close the service today, just worshiping the Lord. Um, 2022 can be a year. Perhaps you've struggled along not reigning in life. It's not because you're necessarily struggling with sin. Maybe it is. It could be just this. You just don't have a life of worship and reverence to God, recognizing who he is and all that he's done for you. And so Heavenly Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. Would you, would we stand together? Lord, you see our lives. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your righteousness. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are worshipers. And I'm thankful for our worship service and our worship team and the, the, just the talent and the gifts that, that you've given us to worship together. But God, may it just burst out of these doors and into our daily lives. Pray this in Jesus' name.